Bible study. And uh, last time we spoke about the census, which is mentioned in verse 2. This census, this registration, this taxing was first made when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Syria was the province that included uh, what we call today uh, Syria, Lebanon, Palestine, and Jordan. Quirinius, questions are asked about the timing of his governorship. The usual word for governor in Greek is legatus. But here in Luke chapter 2 and verse 2, Luke uses the word hegemon, hegemon, a different kind of position. There was a governor, Legatus, of Syria when Christ was born. He was not Quirinius, he was Varus. But we know from history that Varus was not a very capable man, whereas Quirinius was a capable man, an able leader. Quirinius was in this area, the general area of Syria. Augustus Caesar likely entrusted Quirinius with carrying out the census, which was a sensitive matter. And so Quirinius was an authority in this area at the time, but not a legatus, not the usual kind of governor, but rather a hegemon, a special emissary, a special uh, uh, position, an envoy. نوع من المبعوث إذا جاز التعبير أو نوع من الممثل بمعنى واسع. Remember that there is an inscription which speaks about someone being governor of Syria twice. The name is not there. It's broken off. بهالكتابي. People believe that this inscription refers to Quirinius, who may have been governor, hegemon, when Jesus was born, and later on was governor in the more usual way, legatus, in the more uh, usual way, some nine years uh, later. Around the time that Jesus was born, actually a little bit after, Josephus, the Jewish Roman historian, has an interesting statement. He says there were governors in Syria at that time. Plural. There were governors in uh, Syria. So, this is what we looked at last time. We also looked at other explanations that uh, people have uh, thought of. It is not necessary to conclude that Luke made an error. There are good explanations for the statement of verse 2, for the statement which says that this taxing was under the authority of Quirinius as leader. Sir William Ramsey was an archaeologist, born in 1851, died in 1939, 1851-1939. Sir William Ramsey, by the time he died, was regarded as the foremost archaeologist, Alam Athar, the foremost archaeologist of the Middle East. 
he was an atheist to begin with. And in his upbringing, he was influenced by the skepticism of his time, especially skepticism that arose in Germany, uh, in uh, Germany. And he came to this area of the world, to the Middle East, with the intention of disproving the Bible, with the intention of showing that the Bible was not accurate as a historical document. He devoted his whole, whole life to archaeology. After around 25 years, during which time he wrote book after book, after about 25 years, he made a statement to the effect that Luke is a historian of the first rank. His statements are not just trustworthy, he should be placed among the very greatest of historians. He is unsurpassed in respect of his trustworthiness. Sir William Ramsey, remember, whose background was an atheistic and skeptical background, saying that Luke is unsurpassed in his trustworthiness. لَيْسَ مَنْ uh, key historical figures mentioned, uh, different places, details of uh, uh, government uh, and uh, details of leaders in various places, especially in the book of Acts as Paul visits different uh, cities. Acts 17 and verse 6, the city of Thessalonica. Just a little example, Medina Thessaloniki. The leaders in the Greek texts are called polytarchs. Ramsey had his eye on this word which Luke used because Sir William Ramsey thought, and others with him, that this word did not exist in the Greek language. They, it was unknown. As a word, it was unknown. And then, when Sir William Ramsey went to the area of Thessalonica, he found five inscriptions using this word to refer to the leaders of the city of uh, Thessalonica, to uh, uh, refer to the city of uh, Thessalonica. Eventually, Sir William Ramsey, uh, atheist and skeptic, published a book in which he declared himself to be a Christian. He made at least a profession of uh, faith. And this was someone who was so respected in the world of scholarship at the time that he received honorary doctorates from nine universities. And eventually knighted Sir William uh, uh, Ramsey. Sir William uh, uh, Ramsey. Uh, when we examine the Bible in terms of history, in terms of geography, in terms of tangible matters of this kind, it stands up and passes with flying colors with flying colors. So in this matter as well of the census and Quirinius 
we have good reason to think that Luke was on target in what he uh, said. With regard to the census, I want to mention a couple of other uh, points. Some people say Herod was a king. Now, he was a king under the Romans, but they had made him king over this land of Palestine. Some people said, since they made him king, the Romans wouldn't interfere in his kingdom by having a census of their own. They would respect the fact that they had made him king. This is not true. How do we know? There was uh, a little kingdom towards the north of Syria, close to what is called Hama uh, in these days. And that was a kingdom, of course, under the Romans, and we know that they had a census there. So the fact that they had made Herod the king and given him his own little kingdom does not mean that they would not have had a census, especially since at the end of Herod's life, uh, Augustus Caesar was not as happy with him as before. Augustus Caesar apparently demoted Herod, at least in what he uh, said about him. Uh, Herod at one point was classified by Augustus Caesar as a friend, and then the designation was lowered to subject. Subject, mahkum. Badel mahkum sadiq. Uh, another thing to mention here, when Herod died, what did the Romans do? They divided his kingdom into four parts. They gave it part to this son, part to that son, and no one of them actually was given the title of king. Now, the idea of a census and going from Nazareth to Bethlehem, if it had happened in the time of Herod's sons, Let's just say it could have been unlikely because at that point the land was divided into different administrative units. Uh, it was one piece under Herod uh, uh, the Great. Later on, Nazareth and Galilee were under Herod Antipas, one of the sons of Herod the Great, and Judea. Jerusalem, Bethlehem were under Archelaus, uh, uh, Archelaus, another uh, son. Another thing regarding the census, which sometimes people mention, why did every man go to the town that he was from? Why would the Romans not go ahead and do things in a simple and direct way? Joseph, Mary, you are living in a town called Nazareth. Why not go ahead and count them in the town of Nazareth? Why tell them to go to another town, to another place, to the place of their origin? Again, history answers this question at least to some uh, uh, extent. In the year 104 after Christ, now this is of course 100 years later, in the year 104 after Christ, we have record of a census in Egypt. Now, Egypt is not Palestine, but Egypt is quite close to Palestine. Where what happened, they told people to go, each one, to his place of origin. And so we know that this took place, 
not long after and in a place not far away. Uh, not far away. In fact, there is even a statement of someone involved in that census, which we still have, the census of 104 in Egypt, where a man says, I'm coming for my son to be registered, and he gives his name, and for my wife to be registered, and he gives her uh, name. Now, why might the Romans tell people, in Palestine in particular, go back to your towns, go back to your villages, to your place of origin? إلى المكان يلي أنت أصلا منهم إلى مسقط رأسك. The people of the Old Testament identified themselves by their tribal origin. Uh, by their tribal origin. It's true, Joseph Mary lived in Nazareth. And as far as the tribal area designated, Nazareth was probably in the area of the tribe of Naphtali. But, Joseph and Mary were of the line of David. They were of the tribe of Judah. And the land designated to Judah was in the south, the area of Jerusalem and Bethlehem. Uh, and Bethlehem. Now, why would the Romans perhaps say to people, go back to your place of origin? Because that would be somewhat in keeping with the customs of the people of the Old Testament to identify themselves that way. It could be that if the Romans came and they said, Joseph, Mary, we want you to be counted here in Nazareth, it could be that Joseph and Mary, I'm just using them as an example now, it could be that they would have protested and said, no, we don't want this. It's not right, because we are not from this place. So given that they identified themselves by their tribal origin, which one of the 12 tribes that they are from, the Romans perhaps were accommodating the people so that they would not make this census more problematic because it was a difficult thing to begin with. And if you told people no here, but they in their minds preferred to go there, the Romans would say, okay, go there. Go there. We don't have a problem with that. If that's your custom and you identify with a certain part of the land, go uh, there. Uh, uh, go there. Uh, another document from Egypt tells us of a man uh, who registers his name in a census and the name of his father, the name of his mother, the name of his grandfather. What is his hometown? What is his age? What is his profession? The fact that he has a scar above his left eyebrow. We have a document that our person says that this is what uh, information that he gave. And Wife's name and age and her father's name. Son's name and age. Other relatives living with him. And it is signed by the village registrar and by three official witnesses. So, we do have some things from that time that give an idea what uh, uh, was done, how these things were done. Why did Mary go with Joseph? Now, we don't know the exact details of this census. It might be that her presence was required. It might be that she had to go, she didn't have a choice. Uh, the census in Egypt, 104, gives the idea everyone has to go. Men, women, 
everyone. Uh, uh, everyone. Now, that's another census. Was the census here like that? Everyone had to go? Perhaps. Perhaps. Another thing is, maybe the census didn't require Mary to go, but maybe she wanted to go. She preferred to go. She went voluntarily. She went voluntarily. We have to remember how this whole thing unfolded as far as Mary in particular was concerned. Mary was engaged to Joseph. Now, the word engaged, we use it in a particular way, but in that day and time, when people were engaged, that they were married. There was a period of around one year where they were considered married, but they were not together during this one-year period, sometimes less. During this one-year period, the husband, not the fiancé, he was the husband, the fiancé, the husband, <laughs> would be uh, uh, preparing a place, would be uh, building a house, uh, would be uh, securing uh, uh, some uh, place for him and for his wife. And then when that was ready, he would come and take his wife, not his fiancé. He would come and take his wife, and they would be together from that point on. Remember the parable of the ten virgins, uh, uh, Matthew chapter 25. All right. This is the coming of the husband to take his wife, to take uh, uh, his uh, wife. Now, it was during this period of strong engagement, that Mary was with child. Miraculously, the Lord Jesus was conceived in her womb. Now, what would people think? We don't have to think what people would have thought, because the book of Matthew tells us what Joseph thought. Uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. The Bible says, When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. During this period, when they were married but not together, Mary is with child. The natural thing to think is that she is guilty of immorality. This is what Joseph thought. The thinking of Joseph changed. But this is what he thought initially. This is what others would have thought. Now, the Bible tells us that he took Mary as his wife after the angel spoke to him. And he knew her not until she had borne her firstborn son, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the fact that Moses, that Moses, the fact that Joseph took Mary, they went from the engagement phase, they went to the together phase. Alright, as far as people could see outwardly. Although again I say that he knew her not until she had brought forth her firstborn son. And this he did. I'm sure, with an eye towards what? To try to preserve her reputation to some extent, shield her from what people might say. What would people say? They would say, oh, the engagement time ended quickly. 
the engagement time ended faster than we uh, expected. It was supposed to be around a year, and then suddenly it became much less than uh, uh, a year. And so people would hold Mary not in very high uh, regard. Now, this is part of the picture. And this could have an impact on what we're talking about. Mary, did she have to go to Bethlehem? Maybe the census required. Maybe the census didn't require. But she didn't want to stay in Nazareth on her own. Joseph was the only one who knew the truth. Joseph was the only one who knew what was really going on, apart from people like Zacharias and Elizabeth. And maybe Mary said, I don't want to stay alone. I want to be with my husband, the one who really knows what's going on. For me to stay in Nazareth, where a little bit of lingering suspicion and people are not thinking of her, perhaps uh, very highly, uh, perhaps she preferred to go. And she went. And they went to Egypt, and who knows, by the time they went back to Nazareth, they had the Lord Jesus. They might have had by that time other children. And then, whatever questions people had thought of, perhaps would have faded uh, uh, away. They all went to be registered, everyone to his own city, everyone to his own place. Now, how long does it take? What distance is involved in going from Nazareth to Bethlehem? Straight line distance. All right? As the crow flies. Straight line distance is around 110 kilometers. 110 kilometers. But people don't travel especially when they're traveling on foot, they don't travel straight line distance. Uh, Nazareth in Galilee, the typical thing to do was to go down eastward towards the Jordan River Valley, Wadi Nahr al-Urdun, and then to go along the Jordan River heading south until you reach the vicinity of Jerusalem, and then you'd go back up. And so most people mention this trip as being 145 kilometers. 145 In so doing, this was the typical thing. They would have avoided Samaria in the middle of the land of Palestine. That was the common thing to do at that time. What's 145 kilometers? All right? I thought to myself, let me try to figure out what's 145 kilometers in Lebanon. Uh, now, of course, with the help of a computer, uh, the nearest distance that I could find very close to 145 kilometers is the distance between Tyre and Shekka. Tyre and Shekka are, in fact, 148 kilometers apart. So, you're talking about something very, very close to being in Shekka and going to Tyre, or being in Tyre and going to Shekka, but that's only horizontal. There is also vertical. 
shikka to tire or tire to shikka is actually easier. Because of what? Because of the fact that there were ups and downs. Roughly speaking, from Nazareth going down to the Jordan River Valley, you're going down something like 850 meters. And then when you go south along the Jordan River and eventually you go westward in the vicinity of Jerusalem to go to Bethlehem, you have to, uh, you have to go up about 1,100 meters. Now what's 1,100 meters? The going up. The going down is not that's difficult. Uh, 1,100 meters, again, I tried to find something in Lebanon, Hamdun. Hamdun, to the best of what I could figure out, is about 1,150 meters high. And so climbing, so to speak, or rising, might be a better word, from the Jordan River Valley to Bethlehem, you are going up around 1,100 meters. 1,100 meters. How long would this journey have taken Joseph and Mary? Most people say around 10 days. Or some people say slightly less. Many people think that they were young, Of course, she was great with child, but still relatively young, 10 days or less. What happens when you are going from Nazareth to Bethlehem in that day and time? In the area of the Jordan River, you could meet up with all sorts of things. There were adjacent wooden, wooded areas, غابات, قريبي من الطريق. Bears and lions uh, might uh, show up. Uh, uh, there are documents from that time that contain warnings to uh, travelers. And then you have bandits and robbers, لصوص حرامية. And so frequently when people traveled, they tried to travel together as a group and uh, gain some protection and security uh, thereby. Uh, They would likely have carried their own food and water uh, with them to some extent. Uh, One source says travelers used to carry a lot of bread, uh, a lot of bread, and eat a lot of bread with almost anything that you uh, could uh, find. Um, was their journey, sometimes people ask, was their journey during the winter time? People think of December 25, the Lord Jesus being born and traveling around this time of year. But we need to remember that there is no clear evidence that the Lord Jesus was born on December 25 or around December 25. There is no real indication of what day of the year. And so it might have been a time of winter, and people did travel in winter time, and they dressed up and, uh, the way a person would uh, expect, or it might have been some other time. 
concerning this uh, uh, journey, concerning uh, the, the Lord Jesus Christ uh, making his way, shall we say, in, uh, in Mary's womb and Joseph going, of course, as well, concerning this uh, journey. Uh, one uh, commentator says the following about the idea about the idea that Joseph and Mary had a donkey with them. Now, you see lots of pictures. All right? But keep in mind, pictures are just a person's imagination. All right? Nobody was there to actually take a photograph, uh, to actually take a, a photograph. So here's what one source says. It's an interesting point of view, and I share it with you as the opinion of one person, uh, of one person for what it's worth. One commentator says, many paintings, many images, many drawings show Mary sitting on a donkey. I suggest, this person says, that they are wrong. He says, I have hiked with donkeys. It is slower. It is slower. Now, between parentheses, slower means what? Slower means you're more exposed to the bandits and the robbers. Slower means that Mary might give birth uh, somewhere by the side of the road. Uh, they wanted to get there. Close my parentheses. Uh, the, the man says, I have hiked with donkeys. It is slower. A donkey will set his own pace, and usually this pace is slow. It is not one that you would like. You may be in front holding a rope, but the donkey will go as fast as he wants to. You will appear to be leading. You can pretend you're in command. The donkey will go as fast as he wants to, and that's not usually fast. This person goes on to say, I've ridden donkeys. When a donkey decides that he doesn't want to go anymore, he stops. And that's an end to everything. Until he decides otherwise. And that would create uh, uh, delays. Also, this person goes on to say, uh, I have ridden donkeys. Short distances, maybe. Long distances, very uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. And so, and so, for a variety of reasons, this source suggests they wouldn't have a donkey. A donkey would slow them down when they wanted to go quickly. A donkey would be uncomfortable. A person might be more comfortable might be uh, more comfortable uh, uh, walking. Of course, such things are uh, speculation. Are speculation. Another thing that might enter into the picture, keep in mind that Mary and Joseph were poor. When the time came for them to offer a sacrifice in the temple for the Lord Jesus Christ, their, for, their firstborn child, they offered the sacrifice which the law allowed 
for poor people, which was what? Which was two birds. Two birds. All right? So someone might say that they probably didn't have the resources to own a donkey. And that might enter into uh, the picture uh, as, uh, as well. This is with regard to their journey to uh, Bethlehem. I'd like to speak briefly about what they found when they arrived at uh, Bethlehem. And in some sense, I'm skipping over some material. I'm skipping over what it says in verse 6, her days were accomplished, she should be delivered, firstborn son, wrapped in swaddling clothes. All of these things are things that we want to consider. But let me just skip quickly to the end of verse 7, which says that there was no room for them in the inn. لَمْ يَكُنْ لَهُمَا مَوْضَعَ فِي الْمَنْزِلِ Now, people wonder what exactly was that place like where Joseph and Mary found accommodation and where the Lord Jesus was born. Where the Lord Jesus was, uh, was born. What exactly was this place uh, like? It was a place for the animals. This is very obvious because it says that he was laid in a manger. In a manger. What is a manger? A manger is a place where they put hay. Different animals. Donkeys, cows. Uh, perhaps sheep to some extent, I'm not sure. Different animals eat hay, and the hay is just put in a, in like a feeding trough. Now, Now, sometimes people uh, have like a little manger, like a box of wood. Sometimes this might be a box stuck to a wall. It might be made of stone. It might be kind of carved out of a wall, uh, a, a little hole, and and hay that is put uh, there. There was no room for them in the inn. There was no room for them in the uh, inn. There was no room for them in the house, it says in Arabic, which is a legitimate uh, translation. Now, what is the inn or what is the house where they didn't find room so they had to go to the stable. There is the possibility that this was an inn for travelers to stay. There is this word that is used, a khan. What is a khan? Now, I actually got a picture with me, or actually a few pictures which I found. All right? Uh, maybe some of you can see that. Uh, maybe if you want to, you can see it more uh, afterwards. You're talking about what? The place where there was no room could have been this kind of place. A place for travelers. This was a place which was mostly what? 
it was mostly walls. That's it. Now, in addition to the walls, sometimes you had also, you also had rooms on the inside, an enclosure. All right? Makan, Hitan, wa Gharaf, Zghiri, Dakhil al Hitan. And this was a place that travelers would use. And this is the kind of place that would be an inn. Many people are coming to Bethlehem. Many people are looking for a place to stay. Travelers usually stay in this place. It was full. There was no place for them to stay. And so nearby, travelers sometimes have, like we were talking about, sometimes have an animal, donkey. All right? In comes a traveler. He's staying himself in this uh, inn, in this enclosure. His animal may be around the corner, maybe outside the walls, maybe somewhere nearby. There is a stable. There is a place where people take their animals and leave them while they stay, while they stay uh, in uh, the uh, uh, in the inn. The inn is full. They go to the stable. So this is uh, one uh, possibility. Another uh, possibility. Perhaps they stayed in a house. All right? Because remember, the word could also be translated house as it is rendered in, uh, in Arabic. لم يكن لهم موضع في المنزل. But again, not having place in the house itself, not having place in the house itself, they had to stay in the place for the animals. Now sometimes, whether it's the inn or whether it's the house, sometimes there would be a room People often had animals. Sometimes there would be a room and there would be a ladder and there would be a, like a loft. And that's where the people would actually sleep while the lower part, the ground level of the room, that's where they would leave the animals and hay and that kind of thing. So the people sometimes had this arrangement. They slept like up, climb a ladder, and there's a place for people to sleep, all right? And the lower ground level of the room, the lower ground level is where they have a pile of hay and they leave their donkey or their cow, their sheep, or whatever it is, in that, uh, in that place. So some people say, whether it was the inn, or whether it was someone's home, maybe, maybe they, they had relatives there, but they showed up and they found out full. Full and no one is willing to give up their space for a lady who is very pregnant, who is with child, who is about to give birth and she's been traveling for 10 days, which is, makes it even more likely that she's going to give birth sometime soon. Anyway, people had already filled the places, the places above, 
And so the lower places, the, the ground floor where the animals stayed, these were the places that were available to them. So, no place in the inn, a place for travelers. No place in the house, maybe if they had relatives or acquaintances. Instead, they ended up in the stable section, where the stable section could have been like around the corner of the house or around the corner from the inn, or it could have been within in this way that I'm describing where there's a loft, this is what you have, sorry, uh, this is what is uh, available. Now, there's one last idea, but this idea doesn't really have any very strong biblical or historical basis. There's one last idea, which is that they ended up being in a cave of some kind. In a cave. Caves are, uh, are there. They're part of the landscape. There could be a house in a certain place or an inn in a certain place. And they're looking to put their animals somewhere nearby. And it could be that there's a cave nearby, so the cave is used as a stable. And... Therefore, it could be that they were in a cave, but this uh, is not as likely as other uh, pictures, not as likely as other things that uh, were uh, mentioned. We think of uh, the Lord Jesus and the fact that there was no room for him. I want to mention a couple of other things that maybe are like that. Maybe we can think of them uh, as well, just like we say that there is no room for him. The Lord Jesus, little child in his mother's womb, about to see the light, about to be born, made this journey, of course, with Mary, Joseph accompanying her, from where? From Nazareth to Bethlehem. Not a short distance to cross. Does this perhaps remind us in some way? Does this perhaps speak to us in uh, some way of uh, the fact that the Lord Jesus came from heaven to this earth. Going from Nazareth to Bethlehem, long trip. Long trip. What about going from the glories and majesties of heaven to come to this dark and sinful world? And the first thing that encountered him, you might say, was what? Was being taxed. He came to do what? Did he come to receive? Or did he come to pay? He came to pay. Not to pay Rome for their roads and for their buildings and for uh, their soldiers and, and for their profit and benefit. But he came to pay 
something much greater. He came to pay for your sin and my sin. His coming. Does it speak to us of uh, these things? Perhaps. Perhaps it does. Mary, Joseph found their way from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And it was there that the Lord Jesus Christ was born. 2,000 years ago. A bit more than that now. A real place, a real event, a real Savior. A real Savior. These things happened that we are speaking of. They happened. The Bible tells us, you will call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our Lord and Savior. We thank you for Joseph, for Mary, and their willingness to do your will. We thank you because as they journeyed from Nazareth to Bethlehem, this was part of your plan. The difficulties and the hardships which they encountered. This was not a mistake. This was not a miscalculation. We thank you because you kept them. And because your son was born in Bethlehem as prophesied of old. And so the word of God is true. Because you are true. True to your word, to your promises, to your people at all times. We thank you because our Savior came from heaven's glories to a dark and sinful world, crossing a distance so much greater than it is to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem. He came to pay for our sins. He came to bear our burden. He came unto his own, his own received him not. And so there was no room for him in the inn, no place for him in the house. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to those who believe on his name. We thank you because we understand that your word is true, that these things are not cunningly devised fables, but that this is a true and accurate account of what happened, of how our Savior came to this world so that he could bring to us forgiveness of sins and eternal life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.